With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Los Angeles is a lonely sort of place. From a very far away place. Right. Welcome back, everyone. This is another combo podcast between the Bless Your Boys podcast and the Don't Call It a Rebuild, It's a Team Build podcast. I am Brandon Day. With me is Mark Garash, and uh, we're, we're here on a Monday evening after a scintillating trade deadline in which all kinds of interesting things happened, but... Um, of course, none of them had anything to do with the Tigers. Um, although, I guess, in a sense, sometimes absence is, is just as telling. And um, I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's interesting that the Tigers pretty much just sat on their hands today. How's it going over there? Uh, I was uh, out mountain biking um, this whole afternoon and ignored most of what went on. And so you were left to fight the good fight on Twitter, Mark. Uh, how did things I... play out today? <laughs> I was getting ready to do my normal giant walk, and uh, I got sucked into watching MLB Central, and oh, yeah. I, got, I got mesmerized by the discussion, and I, then by the time it was... They didn't bring out Kelly Nash on you, did they? No, oh, okay. unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, Lauren Shahady is... Oh, yeah. And... and, and, and able substitute on that but what i will say is that once harold reynolds appears on my screen <laughs> I, I just you're you know, yeah. I, I, have, I have learned to just shake my head and just go oh my god because at least they had verducci on and verducci yeah verducci's pretty good been, verducci for the most part has been basically in baseball speak making up for the insane useless commentary of Harold Reynolds for many years and he's he's good at it. He's very polished. Yeah, at it, yeah. yeah. And so he will translate it into baseball vernacular and you can quickly move on from Harold. Anyway, I mean so, Tom Verducci yeah. is the is the writer, so there you go. He's the communicator. <laughs> and and very savvy about baseball things and I yeah. uh I, listen, he's not perfect either, but he represented. He's, he's, he's talented, to say the least. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful weather out. Uh, it's great to be outside and exercise. It's not too hot. It's got a little breeze going. And uh, all in all, uh, beautiful time of year in Michigan. It really is. Uh, the rain's done all my beautiful flowers and landscaping, which I like to take care of. <laughs> well, and. Uh, Yes, the trade deadline was entertaining to watch, and you know if you thought Alavilla was going to do anything clever today, uh, I'm sorry you're disappointed. I, I'm just happy he didn't do anything foolish between yep. you. And I. Maybe the most clever, clever thing of all for him, at least, and, and uh, 
the way they're operating, it was to just not, yeah, just to not get involved. <laughs> so so we're gonna, well, what we're going to do, I'll just to kind of set us up here, we're going to, you know, all of you, if you heard um, part one of this, you know, we're basically going to do kind of a mid-season review um, and this time talk mostly about the position players. But yeah, we'll start off um, talking about kind of what went on with the trade deadline and what, what this means the Tigers should do going forward this year and into the off season. So that'll kind of be the focus tonight, but yeah, take us away there. It was, uh, it was, it was, you know, the Tigers, you know, they picked up Derek Rodriguez, who is just kind of a, you know, like, like we were discussing before the show, like kind of a poor man's David McKay, um, to see if maybe they can find something there or like whatever. And then they traded Cam Mabin because Cam Mabin gets traded every year. And um, got, you know, got Cam right back to a contender. Um, one of these years, he's going to take home a ring. I don't think it's, it hasn't happened yet, has it? Look, never, I, has I, he I, ever I, grabbed the ring? <laughs> no, he is not. Yeah. No, but let, let me, let me say. Okay. He, he's, he, what, what Chicago, that's a perfect job for Cam Maven is what the Cubs want him to do. It was pretty astonishing repudiating Albert Amora Jr. that he got option for Cam Maven. That's that's not good for Albert Amora. But yep. former uh, former nice same, prospect Albert Amora, who has not worked out apparently. Correct. But it uh, I think there's prospect fatigue there, no doubt about it. And he can he actually is reasonably decent defensively also. But notwithstanding that it's it's on a twenty eight man roster. Cam Maven in a pennant race. That's that's a good job for him being on the bench for the Cubs. I, I get it. Yeah, and the Cubs um, got what they needed. You know, they um they picked up a couple left handers to kind of bolster the bullpen, and they picked up two guys who can hit left handed pitching in Jose Martinez and to some degree Cam Maven. Um, yeah, when he's you know when he's healthy, um, Cam Maven yeah. can still can still go on a little run when he when he's feeling good. You just never know it, yes, where he's he at. Can. He can hit the ball. He did not hit it for us. Maybe once, one or two games he had where he made some contact. But essentially, what he did here was uh, help help the culture and uh, go on the uh, IL a lot. So, which is, is a very big part of Cam Maven's game going on the IL. So, yeah, it's true. You know, what, what I do have to say is, yeah, they got Zach Short, and if you do a little homework on Zach Short, there's a lot of things to like. He can play shortstop. He can walk a lot. He does have a decent ISO for an infielder. He's not going to hit for average. He is a kind of a swaggy Romine-like uh, player. I'm, I'm sure that they're looking at him as a utility player. Yeah. Um, and in exchange for a month of Cam Maven, you know, anything, you know, anything is literally better. You know, he, Cam Maven has virtually zero real value. So yeah, to get anything, got, yeah, right. And anything you got was better than nothing. In the fact that they at least had some profile to what they're getting. It's funny because when they make these deals with the Cubs. Uh, it's the one place they seem to be able to land players that have plate discipline. And, uh, you know, my famous words of process and profile. Yep. Well, it's no mistake that these players who keep getting from the Cubs, you know, draw walks and have good eyes and are kind of gritty because guess what, Brandon? Yep. Those are the kind of players they draft. Yep. Look at their roster. Yep. You know, besides Javi Baez, they like players who walk, who are gritty, who get on base and have some power. 
No kidding. Yep. It's no surprise that's where we got Isak Paredes and Jamer Candelario and now now Mr. Short. You know, and I've also had Cubs fans, um, a couple that I, you know, respect pretty well, like really raving about Zach Short as like a future coach. Um, so apparently he's got some some mental, you know, mental side to his game that is strong. So I don't know. Maybe he'll be our Will Rhymes. Can I can I dream? Here's what I'll tell you. Jerry DePoto gets Taylor Trammell, and we get a future coach. So that's true. Um, but Jerry DePoto also like spins his wheels, you know, like Wiley Coyote when he's gone over a cliff every year, and nothing ever comes of it. So <laughs> I don't know. I got to tell you, without digressing, too I like far what they've done. You know, but, but I've liked what they've done before, and it never works out, man. Never have the pitching. Well, I, you know, that remains to be seen. But at the same time, well, Marco course. Gonzalez worked out pretty good for them, eh? Yeah. They, you know, they, they got Gilbert. They have – who's the kid they got this year? They got another They got another arm this year, and they have four really good outfield bats. So They do. Uh, I don't have much complaint about what Jerry DePoto is doing. I'm going to guess that next – his next targets are going to be corner, you know, infielders, especially corner infielders, and adding more pitching. And I, I kind of like what Jerry Depoto's done. And you know, at the same time, we've talked about um, Preller before in San Diego, and he he's not bashful. And I and I think it, you know, we talked a little bit about this uh, before we started to record. But you know, it's. It's funny and it's interesting to watch general manager styles. And I I heard them discuss something about Preller today, and I thought it was extremely accurate, which is Preller doesn't get overly concerned about trading secondary prospects. Correct. You notice he did not trade. That's what they're for. Yeah. Yeah. He did not trade primary prospects, he traded secondary prospects. Yep. And. Even he will trade a primary prospect, but the the way that Preller looks at things is, look, I'm really good at finding guys like this. I'll just go get some more, yep. okay? And he will. And so, he also looks at his guys and does that thing that we wish the Tigers would do and understands his guys better than people outside the organization do. And because of that, he inherently always has the intel advantage when he's dealing these guys away and he has the conviction to, yeah, to, to look at his guys and say, like, nope, that guy's not going to be part of the, you know, part of the future. Neither is that guy. Is their value high enough right now that we should should move them and turn them into major league talent? Well, goddamn right we should. And well, he goes yes. and he goes ahead and does it, you know, pretty aggressively. And like you say, he's still, you know, still sitting there, didn't have to give up Patino, didn't have to give up Mackenzie Gore, anything like that. And he, and he landed Mike Clevenger, replaced Abrams. his catcher duo, got Abrams, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches over there, and that's how you do it right. But for all these people who, you know, kind of are out there like, oh, the Tigers are on the Astros plan or the Cubs plan, it's like, no, no that's uh, that's pretty 20, 2012 at this point. I, I wish I was on the Preller plan right now. Yeah, exactly. The other thing I was going to share with you is is that if, if people want to understand a little bit about s- some of the interesting aspects of this deal between Seattle and in San Diego, what you better pay attention to is Seattle took Austin, got Austin Nola as a minor league free agent. Uh, he's played infield positions besides catching. He had a 905 OPS this year, caught quite a bit. 
And basically, they took a minor league free agent, optimized him, and turned him into a deal that they got back Taylor Trammell for him. So, and yeah, and they didn't tell themselves a story about it where it's like, oh, this guy's going to work out great now. He's going to be a part of our future for the next four or five years. This is the kind of thing, you know, that the, the kind of story that the Tigers like to tell when someone is, you know, is going well. Um, and it just, I just want to bring it back to the Tigers because, you know, when the Tigers don't make deals, in a certain sense, they're telling you a story there as well. You know, they're telling you that they, you know, they believe in some of these guys or they need them or, you know, there's always a message sent in deals that aren't made that, you know, seem like they could have been made and, you know, and there's, there's something to read there as well. And yeah, right now it just feels like things are kind of mushy here. Whereas around the league, we saw like a lot of, you know, a lot of decisive move making for a, for a situation in which teams didn't seem to want, you know, a whole lot of, of rentals, which may be a fair point as far as why scope is still here. But, um, you know, teams went out and got what they, what they needed. And for the most part, they stuck to long-term thinking and not just what do I need right at this moment? There were some relievers traded, but most of the deals were for guys that were either reclamation projects, like the, the blue Jays were, you know, picked up three starting pitchers who have all, you know, had flashes in the past and, and struggled. I don't think they're going to go anywhere with that really either, but you know, Bless them for trying. And then, yeah, you know, they made those moves. San Diego made their moves. And everybody else kind of kind of chilled, you know. There wasn't a whole lot of, like, wild swapping of, of players. Lance Lynn is still in Texas, which is probably a huge mistake on their part. Yeah, you know. And, but Joey, Lance... and Joey Gallo is still there, too. So maybe they retool and they try again like they do every year. I don't know. But, but those guys are guys that have so much value that you can deal, on, deal mm-hmm. them in the winter also. Yeah, so this is true. I, I, I'm not a huge John Daniels guy. I haven't been for a really long time, like six or seven years, because really hasn't really done too much in six or seven years. And I personally think he has some alavila disease, which when you describe what's alavila disease, monstrously overvaluing your own players, being not the boldest of traders, and uh, you know, often having delusional asks on your own players. And John Daniels is good at all three of those things, and that's the hallmark of Al Avila. They, you know, I'm not sure what the profile of players is in Texas, just like I'm not sure what the profile of players in Detroit really is. And is look, nobody is better at devaluing their own players than Al Avila. He, yeah, he, yeah, they might overrate them in trade, but in the way they deploy and talk uh, about them, yeah. So look, I, I'm not gonna spend my entire podcast bashing Al Avila because it, like I said, you know, in our last pod, you know, I'm, I'm as tired of bashing Al Avila as you guys are listening to it. I think it speaks for itself. Sometimes I like to explain it or illustrate it. And we have lots of facts and data to back up what we're going to talk about as we get into what players are doing. But here's the bottom line. Al Avila is never going to play in the big boy poker game. He's just not. The only reason somebody's going to ever ask Al Avila to play in the big boy poker game is because he's got a bankroll that somebody wants to liberate from him. Otherwise, he's never going to offer to play in that game. It's just not in him. He isn't decisive enough. He isn't looking to take advantage of a situation. He he's just not made that way. Dave Dombrowski, Dave Dombrowski was the guy 
that when somebody Dave Dombrowski, when you're playing poker, when they tell you, yeah, I invited Dave Dombrowski to play, guys typically weren't too happy to hear that Dave was coming to the game. It meant somebody might be leaving with less cash than they came with. Okay. As, as opposed to Al, who the first thing they want to know is, uh, what's he got? How can I take it from him? So, you know, my, my answer to these things is check the resume. If you want to disagree with me, God bless you. You want to tell me about the two bad trades in 14 years that Dave Dombrowski made? Good for you. Okay. And, you know, all I'll tell you is, is the franchise would not be in the circumstances it is now if Dave Dombrowski would have been the one who was left to try and transition to younger players and team build the roster. I promise you they'd be far farther ahead than they are now. So I'm, let's, let's, I'm less confident in that fact. And I also think that Dave Dombrowski's time ha- had a little bit passed, but I would certainly agree that I have seen nothing from Alavila to convince me that he's really the guy to do this. And neither of us wants to go down the, the entire litany. Um, so yeah, let's, let's not, <laughs> let's not, they avoided our scorn by, you know, doing kind of, kind of their thing, which is very little. And so now the question is, here we are, you know, they've decided not to trade some of these guys. And yeah, maybe Romine or Scope, there just wasn't even much of a point. Maybe they didn't see anybody young in a team's farm system that they could, could ask for. I don't know what it is. They didn't trade Daniel Norris, which was kind of the one that that surprised me. I mean, what do you do with Daniel Norris this offseason then? Do you, I mean, you, you kind of, it seems like you have to extend him to me, but I I, the way that these things work, if Daniel Norris comes out next year and, okay, he's a reliever now, he gives you, you know, three more good months of, of, of relief. And so far, he's going on about 10 weeks since the Tigers started using him in shorter outings. Um, and in that time, he's been pretty dominant um, going back to last year, you know, going back to like mid-August of 2019. When Daniel Norris reaches late July and the trade deadline is approaching, is Daniel Norris in any way going to be more valuable than he is right now? And if not, shouldn't you then go ahead and try to extend him and see, you know, see if Daniel Norris wants to stick around for a couple of years and be part of your plans? I would say from a value standpoint, I, I, even if Daniel Norris continues on this same usage and performance arc that he has now, Okay. Yeah, he's already been worth 0.5 war this year in 15 innings. Okay, so let's say next year he's a 70-inning pitcher and he's a two-war reliever, which is... Everything goes really well, well. yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But but, but my point is what you just brought up. Is he worth more or less at, at the trade deadline next July? than he is than he was now with a full year plus a month i i when i said that nobody teams value the postseason two postseasons is a hell of a lot more valuable than one the 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 longer they have the more he's worth so like i said no nobody can devalue their players how many times have we walked down this road castianos Mm -hmm. kinsler J.D. Martinez, the line is infinite, and it all ends up the same way. So, like I said, let's let's. This is just triggering me. So let's move <laughs> on to this discussion. It just. But here, but just, but let's just keep it focused on Daniel Norris. Like I mean, you know, I some 
we we've both have said you know or at least used the similar phrase that like Alavila devalues his his players and it seems to be infecting the fan base because the fan base of course at this point believes that you know nothing they have is worth anything all the, all these trade ideas are stupid no one should ever even you know consider trading anyone away why don't we just keep everybody you know why don't we sign everybody long term um, we're not worried about, you know, adding, you know, roll 40, 45ers to the, to the depth in the farm system that maybe you trade later, you know, people aren't thinking about any of that to themselves. And what I keep hearing with, especially with a player like Daniel Norris is like, oh, but you know, he hasn't been doing it long enough. And I just want to explain to people out there that when, when teams go to trade, it's not arbitration. You know, they're not looking back two, three years ago. Like, ah, I don't, you know, we didn't like what he did back in, you know, 20, 2018, 2017. What teams are looking for is exactly what Daniel Norris is. Like a guy who found his role, realized he had to lean on his changeup more and make it, you know, a, a, a legitimate part of his arsenal and magic of magic. Although I predicted it for multiple years running and was yelled at by everyone got his velocity back you know like that's um that's what you look for if you're a gm is like a guy that you could take away from someone and you know and get way more than they had when they had him um and you know maybe that led al to hold out for vidal bruan or you know i don't ah who knows what went on with the rays because they expressed some interest how how, how about this take a player that fits a profile of something we need as in a left-hand hitting first baseman that walks who they the Rays seem to, for some reason, were very fond of and are not fond of at this moment, Nate Lowe, okay? Yeah. That, that's, to me, that would have been something to look into. Guy with big power who walks, it's left-handed and plays first base. How terrible is that? Six years of control. Yeah, but I maybe mean, maybe you can even, well, I don't know if you could get him, but you could find a way. Like, you're not going to get him uh, for Norris, but... How do you know? I mean, I mean the Rays are pretty damn savvy about like pure value. Like you know, you might be able to look on baseball trade values and just and just see what the Rays would think about any deal right there. (laughs) Yeah, you know the other the other to to bring this into the discussion. You know, I, I suggested dealing Norris and Jake Rogers to Tampa, and you know, I thought that they were both good fits for Tampa. Yeah. So, um. You know, it's it's ironic that we're discussing this because I'm looking at Tampa's box score right now against the Yankees, of which they're winning five to three. And I'm looking and I'm going, let's see, they got Randy Arazarina trade, Brandon Lowe they develop, Yandy Diaz trade, Hunter Renfro trade, Jimen Choi free agent, Willie Adamas trade, Joey, Wend- jo- Joey Wendell develop, Manuel Margot trade. Kevin Kiermeyer developed, you know, Tyler yeah. Glassnell's throwing tonight, trade. So, I, you know, I guess that if you have a good evaluation skills, you can acquire an awful lot of players, okay? So this is, this is my entire point. Tampa has never been bashful about dealing prospects for prospects. It's, it's a mindset. It's when your team is – confident that they are smarter than you in evaluation they are going to be happy to engage in trade discussions whether they're getting back a veteran tampa's always trying to get back controllable players it is extremely rare that tampa is is dealing for players that have a small window of team control so it's often 
either prospects that have never played in the league or who have played very short periods of time and they're very good they think they can evaluate better than you can right and, and that may and that may very well explain why you know they just weren't going to give you very much for Daniel Norris because they value that you know cheap team control Daniel's yes. going to be in his third years of our arbitration next year etc probably likely but you know look here here's the other thing you know who else is good at those kind of trades Cleveland Minnesota, uh, Chicago White Sox have had a lot of success at those trades. All those teams have had success at those trades. Heck, even Kansas City traded uh, a player that you and I have joked about many times, but the fact that Detroit did not figure out a way how to keep Trevor Rosenthal and bring him to spring training to Mm. see if – a, a winner of working with a guy that was throwing a hundred miles an hour and had a sharp slider, but just couldn't control anything in his okay. first year back from Tommy John surgery. Mm. So now you're now I'm triggered. <laughs> right. And, and th- these mistakes just kind of get swept under the rug. Nobody discusses them, but it's look, this is how the world works in business. Smart people are constantly leveraging people that aren't as smart and in, until a time until the time is proven to me that this front office is not the mark and they are the ones doing the smart things all the time i'm gonna operate you know on the premise of it, it, it'll be a miracle if they're good they may have some good players Yes, yeah, they will have some good players. It's a whole different lift being a good team that from having some good players. Okay, and you know I'm going to be in the prove it to me category, and yeah, occasionally they do something smart. I, I see that Al had his burner account out, and he saw that I was making mention of getting Willie Castro some left field time and some at bats. I believe and, I was the one to put that out first, but maybe not. But in the meantime, my question to you is, look, he could very well be poor in left field. Right. He could. But does he have a worse arm than Kristen Stewart? No. And he can't play much worse decent. You know, I mean, you know, Stewart's numbers look okay right now. But, I mean, mean, we all know what's going on out there. He's going to get abused. Anybody who wants to is going to take third on him whenever he's anywhere near the wall. And, you know, it's just, it's not a really viable thing unless he's hitting you 35 bombs, which is <laughs> seeming less and less likely by the day. Right. No, no kidding. But the point is, Willie Castro needs at bats. He needs at bats because we need to find out, is he a utility man? Is he not a major league player? Or does he just need experience that'll enhance his his plate discipline and he might be a good player and maybe he starts hitting so much and he gets his walk rate up to seven and a half percent where we go, yeah, this guy should be playing second base or this guy's better than Nico Goodrum, which I, I don't necessarily think that's likely because I think he has some throwing problems, but it's guys. Yeah. He may not be as good defensively, but you just need to, you need to know and you can find out, can he hit and you know, can you help him, you know, get get as much experience as he can this year and go into next year looking like maybe he can do something. You figure out the position later. <laughs> yeah. These are the things you need to find out so you don't waste your time always asking yourself, is this guy does this guy have skills 
or is he a good player? And there's a huge difference between those two things. The, the Tigers under Al Avila always seem to be asking themselves that question, and they have not enough times found out if a guy was a good player as opposed to having skills. Okay. And it's a, it's a big lift between those two things. And a great example of that is when you watch, you know, Austin Romine play, Austin Romine virtually never walks. Okay. Oh yeah. But, but does Austin Romine have a plan when he's at the plate? Hell yeah. Okay. And does Austin Romine have a plan? He's just not that talented a hitter. (laughs) That's all it is. Well, what I'm saying is Austin Romine have a plan when there's runners on base Heck yeah, he does. How many times has he hit the ball through the right side of the field yep. when the pitcher made a mistake and was going away and he hit a hard ground ball? I mean, numerous times so far this year. Is Austin Romine throw great as a catcher? Hell no. But how much of a difference has he made at optimizing what pitchers are doing on the mound, asking them to do things out of their comfort zone, you know, helping them be more effective? That that is a that's a guy that is not a skill player. He's a base. He's a good baseball player. And the, Detroit needs to under you know imagine if you can develop some players that not only have skill but have some of the mental baseball playing skills that you know Austin Romine has. How good of a player you get? So right. you don't get those, I mean, we just think of like the Kansas City Royals. You know, like that was a team that had talent. But it didn't have crazy talent to play the way it did. What it had a lot of was a lot of guys who added value to their game by yeah awareness, uh, you know, yes. leadership, you know, you know, just heads up play, just all that shit. Right. In in baseball and, rat stuff. <laughs> well, but there's you know I think I think the word that we would use from that is there, there's a lot of synergy, which is you know the the sum of the parts is greater than the individual pieces. So, but the bottom line is. You know, those are the kind of things, a guy like Willie Castro, you need to give him experience, you need to give him at-bats, and you need to find some stuff out. Do, am I super excited that he's going to be good? No, but I think you need to make some type of investment to find out. If you can make an investment in Michael Fulmer in 2020, knowing what you're seeing is not major league caliber stuff, but hoping in 2021 that you get a return for the time you invested because he had TJ. These are the kind of things that a team at the competitive level of the Detroit Tigers needs to be doing. And I admire them and encourage them for doing those kind of things. And they need to continue to do them. And it's, you know, I I, want to repeat this and I've said this a few times and I want to clarify it again here. Look, guys, Alavila doesn't do zero things correct. There's a fine line when you are a general manager of a professional sports team. So an average general manager is right about 50% of the time. A good one's right about two-thirds of the time. A really good one is anything above that. So you can be a bad GM, and you might be right 40% of the time or between 40 and 50% of the time. It doesn't mean that Al Avila is going to get zero right. It just means he's not getting enough right. And that's what you need 
to be fair-minded about. Al Avila gets some things right. He just hasn't got enough right. And I can't still, for the life of me, understand what the plan is. Somebody explain that to me. Can you explain that to me, Brandon Day, what no, the plan is? I mean, not really. No. I mean, I have like a, I mean, I have a vague conception that we're going to apparently hoard all this pitching and then, you know, and then B and then C acquire a whole bunch of bats. And th- and that's, you know, and that's kind of where it goes, goes a little bit by the wayside. But the thing, yeah, I mean, the problem with, the problem with with Alavila is that you have to and and the team is that you have to think of competition in terms greater than just what you see on the field. Like all GMs are competing with each other, and so you know Alavila is not going zero and one sixty two, but he's a fifty you know fifty win sixty win maybe in a good year eighty win kind of guy. And I think we we can both look at what the Tigers have right now and think, yeah, you know by twenty twenty two. You know, okay, you've got Riley, you've got Torque coming. Um, you know, we do have the pitching prospects. <clears throat> you can start to see how they can, you know, they can put together a 500 team. The hard part is becoming a, a 650 team. You know, to take taking that last step from five, you know, 82 wins up to into the 90s is extraordinarily difficult. And the and the returns on investments at that point get tougher and tougher too. You know, you you may get the you know the best player at the date the trade deadline, and you might have to. But, you know, that might only be worth 0.25 wins or 0.5 wins more than what everybody else did. There's just those margins that you have to keep winning because, as we've talked about with the draft, like the Tigers, you know, had a pretty nice draft you know, this year. Draft last year was pretty good. Um, you know, 2018, very good. You know, you got Casey Mize, you got Tarek Skubal. But when you look at what other teams did in those drafts, there's a lot of competition there, and that's with the, the number one overall pick. Like, how are they going to hold up when, you know, they're picking 10th and 15th? Are they still going to be able to get more than other teams rather than just getting something to put on their prospect list that we can get excited about? Because that's not enough. They've got to be getting more than the teams around them. Yeah, there you go. So the, the bottom line is it's, it's show me now. That that's you know I don't want to have start having discussions about three years from now maybe we're good because let's be really blunt about it next year Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson are not really probably playing very very much if at all for the Detroit Tigers correct I mean I'm not saying they can't I'm just saying that it's unlikely that they can and if you do so, see them it will be in September so yeah more than likely than not so that means. It's going to also take a year for them to be good. So you're, you're talking now 2022, 2023. So it'll be year seven or eight of the Ale Avila administration. So and now I, Matt Boyd is gone, and now Daniel Norris is gone, and Michael Fulmer is gone, and, you know, Nico Goodrum and Jacoby Jones, Spence, like, will cost Spence, real money if you actually intend on keeping them. And so will Spencer and, Turnbull, yeah. And I'm not sure that they're good either. We're going to talk yeah. about that in about two seconds. But my, my, my point is, look, nobody gets seven or eight years to build a team. No one. No one in history, unless they were the owner's child. It, it, <laughs> nobody gets it, okay? Yeah. And exactly what's going on here even the fords aren't this patient it's just puzzling it's (laughs) there's a lot of matt millen going on here that's (laughs) what i would say all right so let's get to the position player side of what we've seen for the first half of the pandemic season and let's let's talk a little bit about it uh you know you want to talk about 
Let's kind of start with the, the let's start with the outfield. Yeah, let's start with the outfield because it's been brutal, and we've already talked about Willie Castro needing to play left field as long as he's not an abject disaster out there. And that brings us directly to the Kristen Stewart question. I mean, are okay. you done? How All do you right, feel? So let me. I'm not. Here's my answer. It's time to start seeing other people because yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give I'm going to give you a little bit of data here. I'm going to give you give you a little Brandon Day data. Break it down. It's something we can go from from there. All right. Okay. Left fielders for the Detroit Tigers are hitting 250. They have a 292 OBP. They have a 429 slug. Uh, they have four homers, 12 runs batted in, and their OPS plus is 94, which is the same as WRC plus. So they're six percent below league average. Unacceptable. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> Cent- ready for this? Yeah. Cent- center fielders, okay, are hitting 235 with a 282 OBP mm. and a 443 slug. All right. Hey, Jacoby. Hit- they, they, and they, let's see, they have uh, five homers, 13 runs batted in. And they also have a 94 OPS plus. Okay. Uh, right fielders are hitting 250. They have a 317 OBP hey. and, a 40, and a 402 slug, and they have an 82 mm. OPS plus. Mm. All right. So what I'm saying to you is this is the worst outfield in baseball. It is the least offensively <laughs> proficient outfield in baseball. Yeah, it's it's not good. So yeah, um, and only- where does and, and where can that you know where can the help really come from? You know, we, right. they've tried yeah. tried a few guys. They've tried the Bonifacio a little bit. Probably gonna try some demerit now that Maben is gone. Daz Cameron isn't gonna play this year, and you know hasn't really looked up to the task. Derek Hill, I think, could be very useful in a small role, but um, you know we we mostly know Derek Hill's not really gonna I- hit. I, I would like to bring Derek Hill up yeah. as for these last thirty games because I think as a defensive replacement, pinch runner, blah blah blah. I think that's his future role, and I think he adds value doing that on a twenty-eight man roster. And maybe it's not such a terrible idea to add him uh, to the mix if they're actually borderline serious about trying to win, you know, baseball games in these last 30, you know, similar to what they've been doing recently. So the bottom line is the production offensively from their outfield is if it's not the worst in baseball, it's among the worst in baseball. Correct. And, and, uh, and that kind of argues for Derek Hill, because if no one out there is really producing that much, you know, I don't know how much Derek Kill's bat is going to hurt you worse than you know Chris, what Kristen Stewart is doing out there or whatever. But you know that if you put Derek Hill in center field, he's going to run all over the place and you know and haul the baseball in. And your you know Casey Mize and Matt Boyd and all those guys are going to you know be completely in love with him. Yeah, it, the the other thing I was going to share is is I, I was looking. I think Jacoby's hitting two seventeen for the month of August. So yeah, um, yeah, it's quieted not, down. Has not been very good. Okay. Still some power, and but yeah. When you're when your most consistent offensive outfielder 
is a guy that's drawn one walk in his last 85 plate appearances and has five RBIs on the season. Uh, and I'll say his name, Victor Reyes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Legend. You know, but, <laughs> but uh, I, I told Brandon in our private, you know, pre pod discussion that I would feel much better about Victor Reyes if he was five foot nine, 165 pounds, <laughs> because then I wouldn't be frustrated by the fact that he can't hit the ball hard very often besides the fact that he never walks. But, you know, you guys all seem to like Vic and I mean, we like Vic. I mean, you know, we, you and I both love ball players. Like it's, it's, you know, it's nice that he's, you know, he's getting a chance to play. He's adding a little bit of value. He's been okay. But we both know that, yeah, I mean, he's not a part of the future. And that's kind of like, you know, where this conversation somewhat needs to be framed is like, you know, we, we look at the nine positions on the diamond and um, do the Tigers have anybody under team control who you feel real good about it at any of these positions? And when we look at all three outfield positions, the answer is definitively no until Riley Green gets here, really. And, and by the way, if uh, you guys are going to start telling Brandon and I, yeah, but we got Riley Green coming. My answer to you is, yeah, we do have Riley Green coming, but not till 2022 at the earliest. And, you know, <laughs> we are going to play 320 baseball games between now and then. So uh, if, you know, that's and, answer, and by the time he gets here, the pitching staff that you have right now will largely be decimated except for yeah, my Scoville and Manning. So Right. So my answer to you people is, is that if you're trying to have a competitive baseball team, um, you need to start thinking about how you can add some outfielders to your mix. And I watch a team like Tampa, and they added Hunter Renfro and Randy Azurarena and uh, the guy from South Korea. And, you know, they're, they're constantly adding inexpensive, uh, productive players, and we're adding nothing. Yeah, guys, you know, that they have on the level of Kristen Stewart and Willie Castro never get to the point where they fall on their face at AAA or in the major leagues because they include them in deals, you know, at AA. As soon as they show themselves to be good there and the Rays decide, nah, this isn't really, we don't really think there's that much here, boom, that dude's in a deal. Um, Whereas the Tigers kind of just hang on to everybody and play them until we're all just dying. So, yeah, I mean, there's that point, too, sometimes, which is to think about the deals that haven't been made. You know, every time you see a prospect that you heard good things about and the team brings them up and they're not good and it goes on and on for a couple of years, you have to ask yourself, well, like, why, why didn't they see this coming? Why didn't they flip them? Good teams do do that. You know, they only hang on to the guys that they really are con- convicted about. The Los Angeles Dodgers trade prospects every year. You know, the, the Dodgers will send five or six prospects out to various teams around the league every year, get back what they need, and never touch those four or five guys that they're convinced are going to be, you know, good major league players. But, but, but my point is, is that even teams that are adverse to spending money, mm-hmm. Oakland, Tampa, okay, they're, they're making deals all the time. Even the Cardinals making, de- you know, making deals or acquiring players. Everybody has their own profile to how they go about building a team that seems to endlessly be above 500 and often is far, far better than that. And even teams on paper that seem to have assembled really decent talent, take a team as an example. 
Cincinnati is the is just it's amazing to me when I look at their roster that they're five games under 500 because the, you just it says to you you know if if the Dodgers had all these players that the Reds had not that they would have taken a few of them but if the Dodgers had the same players the Reds had do you really think they would be five games under 500 with players from that roster I I just I don't understand why some organizations, even though they do a decent job of assembling talent that, you know, the whether it's chemistry, whether it's how they set the lineup, whether it's culture, I, I don't have an answer for you, but the yeah. Cincinnati Reds. And, and all of the above, of course, to the some Cincinnati, degree. The Cincinnati Reds in that division should not be five games under 500. So, right. And of course... And now I will roll in and be annoying and say, you know, it's eh, May 10th, you know, in a normal season. And so who knows? Maybe if this was a 162-game season, the Reds' depth, you know, the pitching, their ability, you know, the fact that they've got body in there now and have shown some signs of, of doing really good work with pitchers, finding pitchers, and helping pitchers. You know, maybe they would maybe they would turn it around and all that. This is a weird season, and you know it's hard sometimes to lean on, on the results too much. You know, this, the Reds might still be good, but there are so many. But just to you know, to use the Reds as this example, there are so many teams that come kind of close to to having a good team. At, you know, with plenty of talented prospects that everyone holds in high regard, a bunch of good starters that everyone holds in re- high regard, and it just doesn't happen. I mean, the tiger, you know, the Tigers saw that for themselves, you know, to some degree in like 2016, 2014, a little bit, but yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a really hard thing to, to squeeze that last, that list bit of bit, you know, a bit of juice out of every berry to, to make the whole thing go well, um, to get over the top and not just be like a talented team, but a team that, you know, is, is a consistent juggernaut. And there, there aren't many teams that can do that, but the Dodgers manage to do it every year. Yeah, well, so let's move on to the infield. Let's talk a little bit about it because the infield has gone through a huge transition from where it began, and some players have intrigued us and had really great years, and others uh, are a work in progress. And like you said, it's really only the 10th of May in the big scheme of life here, okay? But look, Heimer Candelario, got off to a very concerning start. He was 0 for his first 17, if I remember this correctly. Played a very solid third base, was kind of scuffling at the plate as he was coming out of it. And currently, um, in the month of August, I was taking a look at this. He's hitting 352. I think he has 31 hits in the month of August. Okay. And has had a switch across the diamond to play first base. And I'm just curious, you know, what your thoughts on both his current season and is it a mirage or do we need to tip our hat? Is he a first baseman in 2021? It tell me, tell me what you think about what we're seeing and where we're going with it. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I mean, just to, to come, to start with where I come from with Jamer Candelario is that, you know, I like him, obviously, you know, there, there's a lot of, um, Jamer Candelario is kind of like a scout's dream type player because he does all kinds of small, you know, small things. Well, um, his, his technique in a lot of ways is, you know, is, is pretty textbook. 
Um, he's a player who like looks like he's going to play a, a clean game. He's a smart player. You know, at the plate, he's got he's shown discipline all the way through the minor leagues. Not not great discipline, but at least zone discipline. Um, you know, discipline against you know fastball location. Um, to some degree, you know, like I like to kind of break it down that way. Like some guys have side to side discipline and some guys have up down discipline he does not have up down discipline but uh but to some degree you know he, he sees the ball out of the hand okay um there's a lot of swing and miss in there he's he's a guy who seems to have a bit of a groove swing and he's obviously had you know a monster hole on the on the inside down and to some degree against you know high velocity up too although a lot of people have that hole um and then what you go from there is that as a defender he's more nimble than his actual foot speed would lead you to believe. He has really good hands at third base. Um, there's nobody on this team I trust to get a line drive absolutely smoked in their face and catch it. As much as I do, Jamer, he's got great reaction time. He's, he's aware on every play. So it all comes down to, you know, he does a lot of things pretty well, but he's, we've just watched him also get abused for, you know, the better part of a, almost two years. Uh, by major league pitching after a, a pretty nice little start of a couple months. And we're only hmm, two and a half weeks from a substantial, you know, a st- substantial portion of our readership calling for him to be DFA'd. <laughs> so in general, what I'm saying is I don't a hundred percent believe it yet, but I always thought Jamer Candelario was better than what he was showing as well. And the truth is probably, you know, probably somewhere in the middle. Probably on a really good team, Jamer Candelario is is some kind of a young Marwin Gonzalez type player that you can kind of move around, gives you professional ABs, and you know a smart team figures out how to how to maximize his potential. All right, so let's let's table where we want to play him because I think this feeds into a bigger discussion here in a moment or two. I w- I will share with you a couple things about his month, just not to be negative, just to be informative. Good, the good news is Heimer Candelario had the sixth highest batting average in Major League Baseball in the month of August. He hit three fifty six uh, and he had a one seventy WRC plus. So big kiss, Heimer. That was a hell of a month, baby. Yep, that was uh, fun. Now, not as much swing and miss as we think because his K, his K rate in August. 21.1%. Mm-hmm. Not not terrible. And to be really In blunt, fact, quite good nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Co- correct. And to be really blunt about how good he was, he also hit a 267 ISO, which means not only was he hitting the ball well, he was you know, hitting the ball for extra, you know, he had a lot of extra base hits in the month of August. A lot. All right, yep. and, and I don't want to detail him, but he had—I think he had twelve or thirteen extra base hits for the month. Okay, now weirdly, he only walked four point two percent of the time, and normally Candelario is an eight percent or better walk rate type of hitter. So, uh, strange month. Um, Do you think there's a possibility that they got? Months? Yeah. Do you think there's a possibility that he was gotten to and told, you know, we want you to attack more? You're too passive at the plate? You think that's a possibility? It's a possibility. Yeah. I I, I wouldn't speculate the answer to that, but my point is he he hit hit 356 for the month, 
Uh, I would, I'm going to assume he's going to walk more over the course of a season than that and probably get back a lot more towards his career norms and walk rate. Yep. But, you his, know, average ex- I, his average exit velocity is up, you know, 2.3, you know, yes, which is pretty good. Yep. Yeah, my, my point is if Heimerhand Candelario can hit 280 and hit 20 homers, he's going to be a pretty damn useful piece going forward. And there's a lot of different places you can play him. You know you can play him at third, and you know you can play him at first, and we're going to discuss. Yeah, I think you can play him second, yeah. Okay, so that's that's something we need to discuss. Sure. All right, so if Heimer Condelario is not playing third, guess who is playing third? Isak Paredes. The legend. And, and, you know, as far as from a style of play and from a profile of a player, he is pretty much everything Brandon Day and Mark Gorosh like in a baseball player, especially from the offensive side of the baseball, because he's going to make you just work your ass off. He's going to make you throw strikes, and he has a little bit of power. He's going to walk a ton, and, uh, you know, I don't think he'll. he's long for the nine hole. It's probably yeah. much, much better served to hit in the two hole or the six hole, but we'll see. He's been a revelation so far. And I think, and yeah, and there's a good, there's good reasons to look at him and think that he's going to be a lot better than this soon because so far, yeah, I mean, he's got a strikeout rate of 30%, but in the minor leagues, you know, all the way through double A at all, like, like his strikeout rates are literally tied to his walk rates. He he never deviates far, um, which you don't see. Don't see that too often from guys who aren't really, really good professional hitters, and I think we're both, you know, pretty confident that that's what we've got here. Yeah, I, I would say that we both have pretty good eyes about what we're looking at, and you know, he in 2019, Isak Paredes struck out 11.1 percent of the time and had a 133 WRC plus. So I'm not too worried that he's going to strike out a ton in the major leagues. I think it's a matter of adapting and understanding what he's seen and understanding how to, uh, you know, employ, uh, you know, how aggressive can he be and how patient can he be? He's also walking 13.9% of the time. And and maybe he'll learn the umpires as well. You know, he's not necessarily going to get the benefit of the doubt because they don't know him. But there have been an awful lot of uh, of tough, you know, called strikes against him. Like, <laughs> I can't think of a, of a called strike that was really in the zone. There were a few on the edge that he probably should have offered it. But by and large, even, uh, even when he struck out looking... It's been kind of questionable whether or not he should have swung. So yeah, yeah, it's been very, uh, very impressive. Yeah, and he has, you know, he has five walks in thirty-six plate appearances, and not to be mean about this, but uh, Victor Reyes has four walks in one hundred and eight plate appearances. So he he now has walked more times than Victor Reyes has, and I think that just sums up a lot about what I feel. Is Isaac Paredes? The long-term answer at third base, I think either he or Heimer Candelario is, we're going to find out, you know, I, I don't think we really know where Heimer Candelario or Isak Paredes is going to play in 2021, but I do know that they can both play third, uh, Candelario can play first, and I think we need to find out if both of them, and we've had this discussion before, 
both of them have any aptitude to play second base because you want Jonathan Scope to play second base next year? God bless you. I'm happy. But he I can tell you he ain't playing it in 2020, 2022. He's not. Yeah. So if he's not playing it in 2022, as much as you are all in love with Jonathan Scope, I'm not really sure why he's playing it in 2021. So uh, that's something they need to figure out. And I at very least they need to develop their options. You know, maybe yes. Jonathan Scope is this guy now and he's, you know, he's he's gonna hit more and he's gonna put up, you know, quality on base percentages every year, which he's never really done in his career. You know, maybe it's all coming true. I mean, he's 28. Sometimes do, guys do, you know, hit another level right there. But, yes, for anyone out there to be banking on him as your second baseman of the future would be madness. Yeah, it's... I don't want to burst your bubble, people, but... Yeah, it's just, you know... I mean, if they want to bring him back next year and have him, th- have him there, I, I, I'm not going to be upset about it, but, yeah... But, you know, the point is... But we're trying to build a World Series contender here, not just like, oh, well, this will be all right. Yeah, it's not not the fundamental goal. Yeah, it's a little late for transition. We've been doing this for six years already. So, And, you know, and from my perspective, watching Paredes a lot in the minor leagues, I I don't really like the idea of having him at second base, but I do... I have come around to your way of thinking that it is at least worth trying. Um, His footwork around second base is going to be a problem for me. I, I just know it is, but... We've also seen that, you know, shifting has a lot more of, a, of an impact on, you know, how good your second baseman looks than, than it used to. Um, you know, if your positioning is good, you're playing deep on everything, you know, you, you, can, you can look fine out there, even if you don't have the flashy Ian Kinsler reflexes. Um, and maybe, maybe that's possible for him. Um, I also think there's a, yeah, I also think there's an element with Paredes where he could, he could, it would be, it would behoove him to get in better shape. And I think that's not a, a striking take to um, minor league analysts and prospect watchers out there. But, you know, there is a little bit of element there where you feel he, you know, he could get himself into better shape than he is. He could be a little bit more lithe, um, you know, get a little bit leaner and muscular probably, you know, and maybe that would help him in those those realms and would possibly help with, you know, the one real flaw um, with Paredes, which is that we just don't really... He doesn't have a track record of hitting for that much power in the minor leagues, um, even with a pretty flighty ball um, in the Eastern League last year. And that is kind of the, you know, the remaining question mark for him is whether or not he's going to be able to, you know, develop the, you know, the vision, you know, maybe not even the vision, but just the anticipation, being able to pick pitches better to drive and, you know, and be able to hit you 25 home runs because to play at a corner, to play a corner infield position, you know, you've obviously got to. And I also want to tie this into what we were saying before the show started about how interesting kind of it is that he and Candelario have, have such similar kind of profiles in a way as, as hitters, because both of them do draw walks. Um, Isaac has Isak has way better hands than Jamer does, obviously, and isn't going to strike out as much. But both of them are kind of passive at the plate, um, and maybe that just stands out so much because it's such a you know such a departure from virtually every Tigers hitter we've you know we've seen, um, especially those that have come through the organization. But yeah, there there is something to say about you know the Cubs' profile of of what kind of hitters they want based on looking at the two of them. Look, it's it's a little early to make too many predictions about Isak Paredes, but yep. I'm, I'm not too, I'm not too worried about his power. And nope. I'm not too, I'm not too worried about, 
if he's going to hit or not. I, I, I think that he's a smart baseball player. He's got good baseball instincts. And yeah. He will also improve the longer he's in the league. And uh, he, I think he'll hit the ball harder, more consistently. Yeah, and the league will probably teach him what he needs to know. Yeah. The, the what we need to speak about the least in this discussion of the infield is our is Isak Paredes because if yeah. of all the things they have going for him on the infield, I feel the most comfortable that he will be a solid baseball player out of all all the things they have going. Yeah, so, if you had to pick, if you and I had to pick one player of of their starting nine Tuesday night. Assuming Paredes is in the lineup, I, we would we would both choose Paredes. I think with no no hesitation. So correct. So right, he's going to get his chances. You know the power thing will just play out as it plays. But you're going to play him until you find out, and that you know, and that means he's going to play every day for you, or should be playing every day for you for the next you know two years and see what's up. Correct. All right. Sure. Let's let's move on to Nico Goodrum because. It's something we need to discuss, and there's a lot of good to discuss, and there's some question marks. So, look, there's Nico Goodrum. I think you and I started saying this last year and many times during the winter. We had no idea why he was not going to be the starting shortstop here, or at least deserve a chance to find out if he could be a starting shortstop. And when they decided that that's what they were going to do, I immediately said, wow. Jay Sartori actually won an <laughs> argument with somebody. Um, and, you know, for those of you who don't know, Jay Sartori runs the analytics department for the Detroit Tigers. But and he has proven to be defensively, uh, at worst, solid. Yeah. At best, at best good. Yeah. And does he still have some troubles gorking a few routine plays when he makes poor throws yes are his hands much better than you think yes is he really good on relays absolutely and i think the metrics prove out he's been a very good defender the other things you gotta like about nico is nico will draw a walk and on the detroit tigers of alavila any player that can draw a walk is your friend in fact he's alavila if he was taking everybody out to dinner who can draw a walk on the Detroit Tigers, he'd only be taking three people out to dinner. So you'd only need a small table. Um, Nico's one of those people. Nico draws walks at a 10% or better clip. He has for his entire career, including the minor leagues. And even though he's hitting a... At least league average or better, yeah. yeah. A, a, a robust 194 this year. <laughs> he's still drawing walks at a 10.5% clip and 124 at-bats. Do I think he's going to hit more than he's hitting now? I do. But at the same time, when I look at how Nico's hit for his entire career, he's had a lot of years where he hit 230 and 240. And to be honest, with if Nico Goodrum hit 240, walked 10% of the time, and hit 18 bombs and played the defense he's playing now, I'd let him play shortstop for me until I found somebody better because that's a profile I can live with. Fields well, hits both ways, will hit a few bombs, and will draw a few walks. It's probably a 90 to 100 WRC-plus player. He's cheap. Uh, He's probably a two-war player at a bare minimum. And guess what? Nico Goodrum's hitting 194, and after 30 games, he's – 0.5 0.5 war player. And because he's on pace for 25 home runs and 25 and, stolen bases in a regular season, which anybody you know, would love. 
And let's let's add the fact that he is by far and away the best base runner on the team. He probably also would steal 20 bases. I am apologetic that I did not share that. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to get a big boost because he plays shortstop in his war totals. But he's still, at this point in time, on target for a two-and-a-half war season in a full season and probably closer to three because he's not going to hit 194. Right. He probably is going to hit 230. Correct. So, and because uh, and and the reason we have some confidence about that is that you know I mean Nico Goodrum's been in the in the major leagues um, for quite a while. His career strikeout rate is twenty nine point seven, and right now it's thirty nine point five. And as Mark said, you know the BABIP just isn't working for him. I mean, I can think of how many sacrifice flies does Nico have? It feels like it's like four. He's got three. So there've also been some opportunities where they, you know, they had a guy on third. You know, they wanted him to hit a ball into the outfield, and he just did it. Um, and th- that doesn't really show up very well in the analytics. It usually comes out in the wash over a 162 game season. But it's another example of him adding value by doing baseball things, like being able to do that little thing that some other guys can't do. And to be honest with you, they do not have enough players who are greater than the sum of their parts and, and, and are good at multi-faceted parts of baseball. So he runs a base as well. He plays defense well. He draws a walk. He can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Yes, he's hitting 194. But if that's what you're looking at, you're going to judge Nico Goodrum on, then probably you're really not understanding how effect- he actually is. A- I mean, don't come at us with batting averages. It's just no, a blunt way to put that, especially he, especially 30-some games into the season, for God's sake. He, the, crazy, the other crazy part of Nico Goodrum is, is he has a .204 ISO, which is pretty damn good. For yeah. a shortstop, it's really good. So my answer to you is Nico Goodrum is probably on target in the course of a full season to be a two-and-a-half to three-war player, which is – pretty damn good for a guy making $555,000. You're going to be hard-pressed to find a guy a lot better than that. And yep. if you want to, he has 11 extra base hits, five stolen bases, and he's drawn 13 walks. So, yep, the ninth, yeah. ninth best ISO among qualified shortstops. Um, but, yeah, now is the question, though. Okay, because next year, 2021, Nico Goodrum is going to reach arbitration for the first time. And I think we both look at him this way. You know, we see him pretty similarly, um, you know, as a guy who's going to be at least an, an average major league regular, at least for a couple of years, um, can handle the shortstop position. Not the guy that you really want at one of these positions um, on, a, on a contender. Are you thinking that the Tigers should probably be shopping him at some point? And, and is there enough there for someone to buy? Because, again, he's another one who... You know, a team is probably going to, a good team is going to want as like a super utility guy. Well, here's my answer. If you go back and look at how he played other positions on the field. Yeah. In all. Well, all right. Fair. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't good. To to be blunt about it, he was crummy. Yeah. Okay. He seems to like catching balls facing his target. Uh, I don't know if that's a thing. Defensively, he was by far and away his most valuable as a shortstop. Yeah. He was not, not great at third. Yeah, not very good at right field. Yeah. Okay at first. Okay. Yeah. And as an outfielder where we thought he would be okay, he and he probably would eventually be okay. Yeah. He was not great either. But granted, 
he did not. It was. Well, it's just hard when you're moving them around all the time. Yeah, you don't really get a chance to settle so, in. So my, so my answer to you again is, okay, as long as Nico can stay healthy, until you find a shortstop that's going to be more than a three-war shortstop, okay, yeah. I'm probably not shopping him too fast because he's worth way more to us than he is to somebody else. Yeah, so, same here. Um, it's I, just yeah. also that, you know, he's another one of that group who's, you know, who's 28, 29, and, you know, may very well be on the downside of, you know, what is a fairly modest career anyway by the, by the time the Tigers really get their act together. So, yeah. But, but, for, the, but for now, there's no pressure to deal him. And he's our shortstop next year, and I'm, I'm pretty content with that right now, I think. Right. And, and so my answer is, if Nico's playing short, what they need to figure out is, where's Candelario playing? Where's Paredes playing? And, it, you know, once they figure that out, I think it would be if, if you I think the maximum optimization of Heimer Candelario. All right. Is not as a first baseman. I, I agree. I, I, I would think that it's a, as a second or third baseman. And I also think the same thing about Isaac Paredes. OK. And what I'd like to see him try to do is whether it's CJ Cron or another version of CJ Cron. I got a player who I'd really like to see them try to pursue. And I'd actually trade Matt Boyd even for him. I don't know if the team would do it with us, but I I wanted to do this last winter, but I I would hope that the Tigers look into Dom Smith because I would assume at this point in time, you know, look, Dom Smith is really not a left fielder and it's not like the Mets don't have a, you know, they have Conforto, they have Nimmo. They're going to actually at some point in time, get an actual center fielder. Okay. Yeah. So the question is, is in, unless you're going to have Dom Smith DH, which you might. All right. You know, cause the NL is going to have a DH. If you don't think the NL is keeping their D you know, the DH, you know, yeah. The universe, uh, yeah. It, it, we're, we're having a universal DH. The NL is never going back to having pitchers hit. So, but the point is, would I trade Matthew Boyd for Dominic Smith in a heartbeat? Okay, so you know that that would be the kind of trade I would look at, and I think Dom Smith would be really—he's a pretty decent fielding first baseman, and it's left-handed, and he mashes. So, you know, that would be the kind of deal I would look at. And, and, would, and he can play some corner for you if you needed him to in a pinch. Yeah, he, whatever. He can play. He, yeah. he, he, he's not worse than Kristen Stewart in left field. I do like of him. Course. I mean, I kind of feel like, yeah, like they're going to, they're going to want a decent amount for him, but the Mets are an interesting team to think about right now because they're going to go through this change of ownership. Uh, oftentimes that is followed by a, you know, tornado of moves um, and some over aggression. Um, I would love to somehow pry Brandon Nimmo and um, and Dom Smith from them. <laughs> well, That's not going to happen. But here's my answer: You could pry one of them. You can't pry both of them. Yeah, not without Mize and uh, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know, and I think you know I'd like to talk to you about Casey Mize before we're done with the pod. But that's all right. It, we're almost it, through it, the infield here. Yeah. All right, in a good way. But you know, my answer to you is: Look, the Tigers they have to decide on a plan. They have to decide on a plan of who's going to play first, who's going to play second, who's going to play third. They have the answer to two of those questions. They just need to decide what the answer to the third question is. And where to optimize the other two, yeah. My my guess is they will make the wrong decision, okay? But at least 
they're going to get two thirds of it right, no matter what they do. Okay. Because they're going to keep Radies and Candelario. So if you ask me, what do I think they will do for 2021? I think you're going to see Candelario play first and shoot play second and Paredes play third. And you're going to see the exact same infield you see now next year. Why? Because it makes Alavila, David Chad, and David Littlefield's head hurt to try to think outside the box of do a little forward thinking and make a trade and try to move assets for assets. So, uh, and and a- and you expect that you know if they're addressing any any roster problems next year, it will be some some small way of addressing the problem that's staring them in the face, which is that nobody in their outfield, you know, can be trusted to produce much offense with power out there at all, and there isn't really anything coming behind it. So, yeah, I mean, if they're holding Pat this year and. I don't even want to get into the offseason because it's going to be a huge topic. But we both know yeah. that the situation this year is going to produce some unique opportunities this offseason because there is a very good chance that some teams will be, you know, very lackluster in pursuing anyone. Other teams are going to want to cut cut salary. There's going to be some teams who spent money this year and, you know, don't make the playoffs and don't get that share. And, uh, yeah, all these <laughs> things will come come to pass. But... Right now, the infield, they at least have the pieces to put it together. They just need, you know, they just need to find themselves this offseason a first baseman of, you know, of some caliber and then get yourself an outfielder. And if they're bringing all this pitching back next year, all right, so be it. You know, I I love having a ton of pitching. Maybe maybe the, you know, maybe that's been the plan all along, obviously, is to start with pitching or at least that's the way it's played out. So, you know. If that's their plan, then yeah, there there should be ways of augmenting, you know, the infield with an outfielder somewhere, a bat at first base, and you take your chances next year and see how things go. I guess. I uh, agree. I, I I had some interesting conversations on Twitter today about with with some pretty, you know, pretty smart people, and there there's some people that actually think that the inefficiency in players available this winter will be even more so than it's been in the past two years, which will be veteran players because they think so many teams have lost a lot of money uh, because of playing pandemic baseball that it's going to really blunt how aggressive they are at paying people this offseason, people are going to get caught or they're going to look to move some really good players. And let's not forget there was some real hard, you know, hard words between a lot of players and a lot of owners and Rob Manfred um, this whole summer before we all got to the happy part and got to play baseball again. And there's a CBA coming up. Yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons why there there is not going to be a rush on anyone other than the top tier players at their position. And there there may be players on, on existing teams that have, you know, one or two years left on their contract. That's for a decent. Yep. And they don't want to pay them. They don't want to pay them. Now the the question has a twofold answer is Alavila the type of guy that if it's a free agent or if it's a team that comes to him and, Chris Illich has to absorb a little bit of money. Is he going to leverage that to improve his roster? I wouldn't really be too excited at the idea that he's going to, you know, make some super intelligent bargain basement 
wow, was that a smart move type of deals? Do I think that he has the capacity to maybe find, you know, a Jonathan Scope, CJ Cron type of player that may be floating out there that instead of getting paid nine or $10 million, uh, they can they'll they're gonna take six and he'll wait until you know March and sign that guy. Yeah, that that's a little more part of their MO. Would I like to see him try to be proactive and sign a guy like Jack Peterson for three years and thirty six to forty million dollars? And he's going to hit 240 with 30 bombs and walk nine or ten percent of the time and play left field and do what Kristen Stewart was supposed to do. Yeah, that would be a, probably a really, really good use of some money. Okay, yep. and I think we've talked about it. Maybe, maybe Heim Bloom doesn't. It. Maybe Heim Bloom doesn't like uh, Xander Bogart's money. <laughs> uh, I would say that. The team that I would expect to be good, the fastest, that's terrible right now is the Boston Red Sox. Now, the question becomes, do they want to keep spending money? But, you know, look, Chris Sale is going to be back next year. Rodriguez is going to be back next year. They're going to figure out a way. They're going to have, you know, Ivaldi will be back and he might become a reliever and they'll probably buy one or two inexpensive starting pitchers because Chaim Bloom's good at that. So I'm not weeping for Boston and I don't think there's going to be some terrible Boston baseball team for the next four years. It's just not going to work that way. He's too smart. They have too much money and there's too long of a legacy of winning there. Right. They have that thing that we lack so much, which is expectations. Um, Yeah. But and they have a lot of good players. That's the other thing they have. They have Xander Bogarts and yeah. Rafael Devers and Benintendi. Ben, well, Benintendi, I, that's a guy who I would at least be having a discussion with them about because something's yeah. not right there. And yeah, he's basically been a mirage of a good player. Where you thought he was going to be really good and hit three fifteen, he's more hit two sixty five with no power. So I, I'd kind of want to know what's going on there. But the bottom line is the Detroit Tigers infield has been the strength of the team. We haven't really got to the best player on their infield, and that's Austin Roman, who has been the glue. He's got nothing but a lot of clutch hits and uh, has really upgraded their catching position. I mean, the Tigers' catching position, notwithstanding a smoking three for 27 from Grayson Griner, who's really suppressing Jake Rogers from being recalled from Toledo because I'm not sure what Jake Rogers is doing down there. That's pissing everyone off, but Grayson Griner is not been very good and forget the three for 27. It's not been very good behind the plate either. Yeah. So, but you know, Austin Romine is, is hitting, you know, 290 and he's just been the backbone of the entire team. He's, Yep, and by the time he, you know, the season's end, he may very well be hitting two forty, but he's still gonna uh, gonna do those things that you that you have him here to do, which is to mentor mentor the pitching staff, um, to mentor apparently Grayson Griner and not Jake Rogers, um, and to be you know and to be that guy, to be that field general, to be the guy who you know pays attention to who needs a little bit of a you know a pick me up in the dugout, who needs their butt kicked a little bit, like Austin Romine will do all those sorts of small things for you. Yeah, well, it's he's. So, you know, like does that I, mean you're going to bring him back? 
I, I, he'd be the first guy I was trying to sign for next year. I would also tell him he's only going to catch 90 to 100 games. But Yeah, because I've got to work uh, uh, some of these young guys in there. But, yes, he would – I'd be – right now I'd say to Austin Romine, I'll tell you what, you know, not knowing his medicals because I have no idea if he's got bad knees or a back problem or if he could catch that many games. And yeah. that's a question we need to answer. But, you know, assuming he could catch 90 to 100 games – I uh, I'd be offering him a two-year contract for ten million dollars, maybe eleven million with a third-year team option for a million bucks, and I would say that's ten million dollars that's really well spent because I, I promise you, if Austin Romine was healthy, or you know, he's got a little knee soreness going on right now, I'm sure that uh, there were teams asking about Austin Romine. They just weren't offering a ton, but I'm sure they were for sure asking about him because any shrewd baseball front office understands what he brings to the table, notwithstanding that he never is going to walk and he's sure not going to hit too many homers, but he's bringing a lot of, he's bringing a lot of, uh, you know, non data oriented, good things to the Detroit Tigers. And he's one of the single biggest reasons why they're 16 and 16. Yep. That's an easy one, which is why we saved it for last. Because yeah, I think we both we both like Austin Romine, both want to see him back next year. Um, you know, it's hard to say anything about Haas or or Rogers because we're not going to see them. But um, I, I think we can also kind of say that you know, this is like Grayson Griner is what twenty eight. Um, you know, it's just not going to work out there. You know, he is what he is. You know, people need to lose their attachment. You know, you you all kind of you know we we let go of John Hicks. Um, long may he run. And uh, yeah, it's probably gonna have to be the same here because they do need to move on and and put you know and get on to developing a young catcher that could actually be around for a while. Um, and I mean, whatever. I'm not gonna even complain too much about this, but you know, it just would be nice to see Jake Rogers working with Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal. He knows them better than anybody. He caught both of them all last year when they were you know at their best. Um, they're all obviously friends and and know each other well and came up together. It's like. I don't it's really a, see. It's all just seems like tailor made to bring him up right now, some right, Grayson so, down, and just kind of roll for the you know for the rest of the, for the it's, season. It's, but it's it is what it is. Yeah, it is. All right, let, let's do let's do a couple minutes on and uh, I want to talk about Casey Mize just for a minute so people don't get overly concerned and you know what we think we're going to see in these last you know twenty eight to thirty games and then let's get out of here. So sounds um, good. All right. I just want to say, Casey Mize has given up, I think, I maybe 17 base runners in, nine, in a little over nine innings. And, you know, the, the last outing, if you took it at face value, I'm sure people are like, what's going on here? Yeah, where's the and command? My, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My answer is, is a lot of pitchers being that mechanically out of sync as he has been a little bit too two starts ago and for sure last start yeah i gotta tell you things could have been a lot worse than they were um and this is part of young pitchers pitching in the major leagues they're not gonna have the best stuff every time out and the question is are you able to in midstream find it and get your team some outs i mean who is better at that than justin verlander yeah, no. I, I, you know, but but there therein lies the rub in that, 
you know, a dude who has an overpowering fastball always has that advantage because that's the easiest pitch to locate. And if you have if you have a great one and it's a weapon, it can get you out of all kinds of trouble. Whereas Casey Miles is a kind of, you know, a style of pitcher that we don't see a whole lot of here in which he has to be able to spot all of his stuff. You know, he's got to have at least so, three pitches um, to go out there and, and do what he does. And that so kind great. of pitcher might just take more time, you know, to develop because there's n- less margin for error when he's off. All right. So the other right. thing I wanted to say, <laughs> would you say that Brandon Day and Mark Gorash are definitely two pitching snobs or not? Yeah, probably a little bit. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. So. Or just biggest, at least obsessive pitching right. staff. So, yeah. so let, me, <laughs> let me ask you something something bizarre, okay? Early, you and I have talked about Casey Mize, you know, at length, you know, not on the pod, just when we talk to each other, which is a pretty decent amount. And it, what was the pitch we were least intrigued by and most worried by of Casey Mize before he started throwing in major league games? Uh, for me, the four seamer. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no kidding. No it's just kidding. not. It's just oh. not a thing. Yeah, right. In the meantime, how much, in a good way, in these three outings, has he surprised you? Where he's actually had better success, and in fact, last game pitched himself out of trouble using what pitch? The two seamer, wasn't it? I thought it was. I thought he was throwing fours. He was mixing twos and fours between you and yeah, him. probably yeah. But 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 my point is, once he started pouring fastballs in the third inning, yeah, it, it looked better for sure. It looked a lot better. His command looked better. He was attacking hitters, and you know, if you read my Twitter feed, I had a pretty simple thought about what was yeah. going attack like attack more. Okay, yeah. and and you know. It, it, to watch Casey Mize have to pitch without either a good split, he threw virtually zero cutters, yeah. and he did mix in a curve or two. It, it was interesting to watch. Now, do I think in a real game, in a regular season game, in 2021, when he's going to throw six innings, could I see him struggle like that for three innings and then start gaining more command of those pitches in the fourth, fifth, and sixth? Hell yeah, that's what a good pitcher does. Right. right? But, you know, I, I was not as upset at what they got out of the last start in the big picture of what's going on here in 2020. I kind of liked watching him struggle. I liked watching him try to figure out what to do and how to get outs when he didn't have anything. I liked watching him hit three batters and have virtually (laughs) zero command or control over anything for a while and have to figure it out and to see if he could figure it out. And guess what? He did. He kind of did. Let's let's say he kind of did, yeah. But, but my point is, look, you know, when you're at Auburn, you can get away with some of that stuff. When you're at Erie, you can get away with some of that stuff. When you're in the major league, margin of error, way less. Right. Okay? And, and, well, and, and because he was able to go through the minor leagues doing exactly what he wanted to people. Like, you know, for the most part, he had, he had everything working. You never saw him where he didn't at least have something to go to. And that was kind of the outing the other day where it was like, you know, deer in the headlights finally. Like, I can actually see, you know, Casey Mize's facade starting to crack here. 
you know, he's got nothing. He can't fix it. He can't quite fix himself. He doesn't know what to do. And yeah, and the solution that they came up with proved to be the right one, which was just to rear back and to start pumping him on the edges. Well, I don't know about rearing back. Oh, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> let's throw, what I'm saying, let's throw fastballs and let's try to locate him and let's attack hitters with it. And if they hit it, they hit it. But at this point in time, he didn't have much of a choice because he really couldn't locate any damn other pitch. Yeah. But, one of the and, things I've liked about him is that he's been more aggressive. And I don't know if this has necessarily been by design. Then I've seen him in the minor league sometimes where he does look like he's, you know, he expects perfection so much out of himself that he's just going to try to, he's, he, he becomes a nibbler and he doesn't have the personality of a nibbler or the, you know, the diabolical weak traits of a nibbler. It's just that he, you know, he would just overdo it with trying to just, you know, absolutely carve these dudes up. When, you know, if he just threw his best pitch down the middle, he could just cruise through some of these innings. Um, and, and, you know, there's a learning curve there as well. So, in the meantime, my answer to you, am I disappointed at how Casey Mize is thrown in these three outings? Not, not even a little bit. No, I'm having okay. a blast. Like, this has been totally yeah. fun. Exactly. And I feel so, the same with Scoobs, you know? I mean, we're seeing Scoobs go out there, starting to kind of feel himself. You know, the, the first time out, the four-seamer didn't quite have the same giddy-up. He was choking it. He got all sweaty. You know, you were talking about the puddle in his shoe a little bit, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, he was stressing out. And, um, yeah, he seemed to have kind of, like, just settled right in there. And especially when you consider how little the kid has pitched this year. Uh, I, I do – can we both say this? Do you, do you feel pretty confident that, that the best for them is yet to come this year and that we can expect them to, to progress and grow over the next 30 days and, and put together finally, you know, hopefully a complete outing or two along the way? Yes. Do I think that they will have some more outings that – are frustrating? Absolutely. Yeah. Do I think that they will also mix in some really good outings? No question in my mind. Yeah. So uh, this is this is this is all part of player development, and it, you know, it's if you want them to be good and consistently good, this is how you build good players. So um, it, it's a weird year. Uh, it's not a bad thing that they're only throwing 70 pitches and still getting experience. This is what we were screaming for. And I'm glad whether it was by design or necessity that they're doing this. And I pretty much think what's going on is not a shock to anybody. So, um, all right, lastly, before we get out of here, uh, what do you think is going to happen here in the next 30, 30 games? I think that the, I mean, I think the offense is going to have, you know, at least one skid of, you know, five games where they look terrible, um, like they did a couple weeks ago. And other than that, I think the pitching is going to kind of keep them in there to where they're not, they're ne- never quite out of it until, you know, maybe the final 10 days of the season where it's just like completely wrapped up. But I mean, yeah, I think they're going to fade back a little bit. You look at the, you know, the teams that they're chasing Toronto is really the only one out there that they're, you know, they're likely to catch. Um, but you know, this team has surprised us so far. And I think, you know, having Mize and, and Scooble there and Boyd settling in now, you've got Daniel Norris and Tyler Alexander to kind of tie those guys together. The bullpen has, you know, has looked fairly legit. Um, you know, a lot of us are still waiting for the other shoe to drop with a couple guys. But, I mean, by and large, from what we've seen, there isn't really any any red flags about the guys that we're most interested in, whether that's Cisnero, Soto, Garcia, 
you know, farmers obviously has had some had a little forearm trouble this year and hasn't quite looked his best. But there's enough there, I think, is is all I'm really really trying to say. There's enough there on the pitching side, and I just don't think there's going to be quite enough there with the bats. And um, I would love for Jamer to prove me wrong and for Nico to come on, um, and and kind of uh, kind of back this thing up a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I just I assume they'll kind of fade out a little bit and probably you know end up with something like a 26 or 27 win team, assuming they get them all in. Uh. You know these. La- I, I think they'll play close to 500 in these last. I think they have what 28 or 29 games left. So, um, yeah, I think the pitching will be better than it has been because God, it couldn't be worse. Yeah. And uh, the bullpen will continue to do well. I, I liked how Farmer threw last game. He was getting some swing and misses, and his changeup looked like it had a lot more depth. Yeah. That was a good. That was a good thing. And if Buck Farmer can at least just be Buck Farmer of last year, uh, that'd be a good thing. Um, yeah, Soto has a pretty been deep interesting. Open. Yeah. I, think, I think he's he's growing, and I think there's a lesson in this bullpen emergence of this season, which is, yeah, you never know how you're going to build the bullpen because if I would have told you last winter that you would have a really good bullpen yep. <laughs> made up of Buck Farmer and Greg Soto closing, uh, Brian Garcia setting up, uh, and Jose Cisnero basically being your Joel Zamaya shutdown guy, you would have looked at me <laughs> and went, yeah, dude, you got to quit hitting that fight. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you just never know. Yeah, and there's also there also may be another painful lesson in that in that when relievers blossom, sometimes those relievers wilt real quick, and that's why you know we 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 saw Harris, we saw you know quite a few people, kind of uh, kind of freaking out like you know you need to flip some of these relievers, and I don't know that you have to because you have team control over, over all of them, but I think it's just worth keeping in mind not to count our chickens yet because. Soto, you know, looks fantastic, and and some of the other guys look pretty solid. But it could, you know, it could go sideways again. It is roughly May tenth. It's a long way to go. We got five months of the season left. Lastly, <laughs> now now how confident does everybody feel about these guys? I want, I want you to remember, if you're having a poker game, you're not inviting no Alavila there okay. to 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 bring you home money. You're inviting Alavila there. To take his money, yeah. so and he's got to bring uh, like some wine and you know a snack as well, and then we'll take the money. I don't really care if he brings anything as long as I can take his money. <laughs> so I don't really, I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't. He doesn't need to bring me not a single thing except <laughs> what I invited him for, which yeah. is to take take his money. So. You know, it's like I said, it's been a, a pretty fun first 16 and 16. I believe me, Mark Gorosh did not have that in the pool. I, uh, Brandon Day had 28 and 32 as their final record. So we'll see. I think I'll ride with that probably, actually. To repeat, Mark Gorosh had 7 and 23 in the first 30 games. <laughs> so yep. he did have 15 and 15 in the last 30. So that, that's a good thing. Anyway, so we'll. Uh, Let's let's see what happens. It should be interesting. I'm glad they had a day off today. Um, I'm not mad that they didn't make any trades because, to be really honest with you, I didn't expect them to. And 
Yep. And we Let's just we, we just want them to to try some things, gather information about their players, and um, yeah, try try to keep this going as long as it's possible because it's been Look, much more entertaining than either of us um, anticipated. Look, I would expect the Minnesota Twins in Minnesota to uh, not roll over and play dead quite the way they did in Detroit. And yeah, yeah, those I guys got you, nothing, dude. Come on. I, I want you to remember <laughs> that uh, you know Donaldson, uh, Garver. And uh, Buxton were not playing. Yeah, and... those guys are soft. Come on. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> anyway, I uh, it's getting pretty late. Yeah. I, I hope people are having fun listening. We're having fun doing it. And we'll be back uh, soon. Hopefully we'll get a few interesting guests. And uh, maybe we'll try to get the gang back together for a pod here soon too so that that should be fun yeah absolutely um we need to do that and um yeah as we get along here there's a little bit more data backing up and we will uh we will turn to some of our favorite analysts and hopefully um get mr staven hagen back in here for uh for a little wrap at some point too so you can look forward to a bunch of those episodes um you can follow the don't call it a rebuild is a team build podcast on twitter you can follow me brandon day at fiscadoro 74 on twitter mark is at sports with a Z on the end, 5176. Is that right? Yeah. There you go. That's true. <clears throat> but um, come correct, you know. Um, you, you may get withered a little bit. So <laughs> everybody have a good uh, good night. Um, you'll probably be listening to this on Tuesday, and um, the Tigers will be getting back after it, and hopefully uh, we'll have a fun second half here, and they can keep us entertained as long as we can. Mark, good have night, a good Jeff. evening. Good night, everybody. Good night, man. Take care.